Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Tyrone here, and we've got a great episode for you from the archives with Prue Muirhead. This episode was first aired back in 2017, and I hope you enjoy it. We looked at moving into a caravan and renting our home out for $350 a week, uh, which of course is $18,000 a year, which we wouldn't have had at the time. So $18,000 would be a massive amount of money for us to suddenly have extra income if we lived in a caravan. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're talking to 2010 Property Investor of the Year, Prue Muirhead, who at 19 began her property investing journey off the back of a career as a DJ. Now, she's the owner of Muirhead Property Management and currently has 18 investment properties in her portfolio. All it took was a sign to give Muirhead a tilt towards the right path. We'll hear about how she turned from DJ into a property investor and businesswoman and how property investing is like playing a game Monopoly. Probably normally it would be gym in the morning. Um, I obviously respond to emails and phone calls then. I'm always on realestate.com, probably like everyone else that's listening to you on and off realestate.com, domain.com and all your search engines. Um, Daily I have lunch with my husband because we do work together in the property management business. I do spend a great deal of time with my kids. I love watching them play sports, so that's whenever that's on. And family meal at night. At, at night, And uh, it's a pretty great life, really. And like I said, it's a lot different to what it was 10 years ago when we were under lots of pressure and I had this DJ business and no income and it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. So I'm so pleased to be in a different era of my life. It's all about having freedom to see the kids, to be honest with you, because I, I made a couple of er- errors early in life. I gave birth to two beautiful children and went back to to work the day I gave birth to them. I probably have felt guilt for that my entire life until I recognised it when they were 8 and 10. And um, thankfully, we got into property or I got into property by then. So I just went, this is ridiculous. I'm making more money in capital growth of just two properties than um, going to work full-time for myself. And so thankfully, I flipped it on itself and sold the business for equipment value only and travelled the country for a couple of years. So, yeah, I know, it's it's funny, but I think life's for learning. (laughs) And I certainly had a big lesson there. Starting off with nothing, Muirhead dramatically turned her life around. Since then, she has accumulated 18 investment properties and began the property management business with her husband. I'm a part-time lecturer at Property Invest uh, for property investing at TAFE SA and three years ago I started a business called Muirhead Property Management in Adelaide. 
So that's pretty much my background. But it's kind of bragging. I guess most people find me most interesting because I was a disc jockey for 15 years. Um, had an incredibly low combined income with my husband. We had no super, nothing set up for our future. And in 2002, we went to buy our very first investment property and was told by Westpac we couldn't even afford our own home. Um, by 2006, I purchased our very first investment property. And in 2010, four years later, I actually won your investment properties, property investor of the year, which is a, a fantastic uh, magazine. And, of course, I won that with 14 positive-geared properties and 2010 and 12 Travel Australia homeschooling our kids in a caravan. And then, of course, like I said, 2014 started Muirhead Property Management. And we currently, or I currently, own 18 positive-geared properties. So life's a lot different to what it was 10 years ago. When it comes to investing in property, she describes herself as a calculator risk taker. Property is actually a bit of a hobby for me. It's a bit like a game of Monopoly. I, I certainly take calculated risks. So... I don't know whether you'd call me a risk taker. I know other people perhaps would find it hard to um, jump at some of the um, investments that I've bought, but um, I've never really been a normal investor and I've been chasing the income, so I've always been chasing the positive geared properties rather than negative geared because I've never had the income to write off the depreciations or any of the expenses that go with property, so I've had to have them positive geared to put money in my pocket, not take money out. So, But I'm, I'd say I'm a calculated risk risk property investor. With a steady interest in music while growing up, she naturally turned to DJing as a primary source of income. However, on discovering that the risks outweighed the gains within that industry, she eventually turned to property investing. So I was born in Pinaroo, which is virtually on the border of South Australia and Victoria. Moved to Adelaide, never, didn't even finish year 12, um, did year 11. Uh, I worked for a furniture removalist company for seven years. And then, like I said, I was a disc jockey for 15 years, so I always wanted to make my living on my saxophone. And when I left school, I thought, well, I'll probably I'll try and get into the police band. And I had open heart surgery as a teenager, so they said to me at that stage I was a risk. So um, a DJing became something. I thought, oh, I reckon I could make some money in DJing. So I did that for 15 years, and by the time... Um, I grew this business to 26 staff. It was ridiculously expensive business. I mean, we had to make our living one night of the week, six months of the year when the sun shines on a Saturday. Really, really tough industry to be in. And because we were carrying um, or I was carrying full-time staff, road crew, as well as, you know, all the DJs. So you need all the guys working as well as myself um, in the summer months. And then you're trying to keep them for winter and there's no work. So it was a really interesting time. So... Um, needless to say that now I'm in business, I will not have staff again because <laughs> they're lovely. I'm sure they're lovely people and there's some fantastic ones out there, but the stories are crazy. But um, I, it blew me away when I did win Crop Investor of the Year in 2010 because, to be honest with you, all I was trying to do was make a better life. Well, I guess that I used to hook up a trailer, like I a lot of wedding and corporate events. I did do a couple of school formals, but I was in my early 20s and decided that teenagers didn't expect to see some 20-year-old female standing up there so I, I used to put my guys into those but when it came to weddings and corporate events I used to hook up my trailer with all of my speakers, PA gear, karaoke machines, whatever I, the client wanted. I'd go down to, we're in, I was in Adelaide so I'd go down to all the, we're probably by the time I sold the business we're in most, nearly every five-star venue in Adelaide with our staff. I'd just turn up, set up about an hour or two before all the PA gear 
And then when this, when all the guests had arrived, I'd introduce, say, if it was a wedding, I'd introduce a bridal party, I'd MC, you know, master of ceremonies, I'd take control of that as well as all the music. And it was really good. I, I did enjoy that. It was lots of fun. I guess it goes down the same line as my saxophone. Um, I was in a band when I was younger with my brothers, and it was fantastic fun. So it was on that same line, but there is a due date, and unfortunately I think it should be a second income, not um, your main source of income, and that's what I learnt. But at the end of the day, I'm exactly what people would expect me to do. I was um, playing all the music for everyone. Um, I'd stop the music and I'd play with the guests. You know, I'd get them to do aerobics, congas, zorbas, teach them dances, all sorts of crazy things. And then I'd come home by about 2 o'clock in the morning with my trailer on after I'd unpacked all the gear in my black suit and try and go to bed straight away, which is virtually impossible because... You're always um, hyped up after a function, but it was it was good it was good for the time. But I did do that for 15 years. We we're on a far less than average income, far 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 less than average income. And thankfully, it took a conversation over a, over the Sunday Mail once, and I said to Andy, "If you had your life again, what would you tra- what would you change?" And he said, "Would have got a trade." And I said, "Honey, you're 37. You go off and get your trade." I mean, it was my business anyway. He joined me halfway through, so. I sort of just thought, well, this is ridiculous. I'm making more money in capital growth from just two properties at that time we had um, than running this business and working myself to the bone. So thankfully, I was, you know, it took 12 months, but we sold it for equipment value. So it certainly didn't set us up. It just paid off all of our debts pretty much for that particular business. Um, but, you know, if I didn't take the risk in being a DJ and having that business, I might not have. I might have found that I'd, I'd be working for a good income and I didn't have my back against the wall. It's when your back's against the wall and you don't have the income that you um, have to think of other ways around this. You know, what am I going to do? This isn't working. Whereas if I think people sometimes when they're in a comfortable world find it too easy to just sit on their hands and do nothing, whereas I had to do something. Mirahit's parents had an unintentional impact on her while she was young. No, I've always been a really good saver. I can. Um, I, I, I can live really frugally and I sort of always have, but I've just always been a really good saver and I don't know what it is. But my parents were real estate agents, so I guess that's the backbone to it. But it used to drive me crazy. They used to talk about real estate around the dining table and I used to hate it. So I think somehow that information did sink in. Um, but they used to buy, they used to sell real estate, but over in their sidelines, they used to buy blocks of units and put them on separate titles. That was sort of back in the 70s when most blocks of units were all on one title. So you could buy a block of units for a lot less than, so if you buy a block of four units, you'd buy them, um, if all of them would, you know, if you times the units, say 200,000, uh, if you had four of them, you'd think it'd be worth 800,000. But if they're on one title, you could actually buy them for, say, 600, 500 because, of course, less people can afford a $500,000 transaction than the 200000 Does that make sense, what I've just said? English is not my <laughs> my forte. But anyway, um, so they used to buy blocks of units, and um, in the end, they, they both retired at 47. Um, but as a child, no, I used to hate them talking about real estate, but I think I certainly have, as much as I've ended up in a kind of real estate way, I vowed and declared I'd never be a real estate salesperson and I have never done that. We're just still property management now, thankfully. But as far as they're concerned, they probably were a massive influence without realising it at the time. Coming up after a break, we'll delve into Mirahead's property investing journey. We're in an incredibly low income. We had no superannuation at all. Um, and I recognised something had to change, it would end up with virtually nothing. How she grew her property portfolio? I remember working out if I added the 
the returns of 5% plus the fact it was, would go up in capital growth about 7%, that 7% plus 5% equals 12% per year, that I was better off to own that than not. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. If you've ever gone through a difficult period in your life, turned on the radio and had a sign that pointed you in the right direction, Mirahead can relate. That was how her property investing journey began. We were in an incredibly low income. We had no superannuation at all. Um, and I recognised something had to change. You would end up with virtually nothing. Um, and then in 2002, we went to buy our very first investment property and Westpac said, as I mentioned, that we couldn't even afford our own home. So we had one month to work out what on earth we were going to do. So there we were about to hopefully buy our very first investment property to be told you can't even keep your own home that you're living in, your principal place of residence. Um, so we had like one month to work out what we we're going to be doing. So we looked at moving into a caravan and renting our home out for $350 a week, uh, which of course is $18,000 a year, which we wouldn't have had at the time. So 18000 would be a massive amount of money for us to suddenly have it extra income if we lived in a caravan. So to be honest with you, that that's pretty much how the investing German uh, journey started. So like magic, there was this radio advert on about a week later and it said, if you're having trouble um, loaning money, call us. And so I called them and of course, um, the rest is pretty much history. They were they were selling and they, back then it was quite easy to get low doc loans, low documentation loans where you sign a piece of paper to say, yep, I earned two hundred thousand dollars, and I, I, you know, I, it's a bit naughty, but I think it probably was two hundred thousand. I wrote down, but I think at the time we were earning probably twenty, you know, combined. It was ridiculously low, so that's why eighteen for renting our own home was going to be good. And so um, I signed. I remember Andy and I signed this document to say we we're earning two hundred thousand. So they gave us the um, equity out of our own home because we'd bought our own home for at that stage. We'd been in the same house for about 15 years, 10, 15 years. So we'd bought it for about 140000 at the time. And um, at that stage, it was worth about $300,000, So they gave us a hundred or $150,000 in a line of credit. Um, and with that, we were able to pay the loan off itself, off the home we were living in, as well as putting a deposit on an investment property. So the the actual line of credit, really, all I was doing was trying to keep up the repayments. So just like any home repayments, because we didn't have the income coming in, I ultimately was using the lender to pay back the lender, if that makes sense. So I was going further into debt to pay back the lender to hold the house, knowing that our principal place of residence was going up um, on a you know at about a rate of about seven percent per year. So each year that house was going to be you know, fifteen to $20,000 more expensive compound, you know. So I knew that if I could just hold on to everything, that in the long run, it'd be okay. Her first investment property was purchased on a home turf, as many other investors are known to do. Taking a calculate risk, she realized this long-term investment would pay off. The first investment property is quite an interesting one. Um, I think we all like to buy close to home and I'm no different. So the first one we bought was just you know, the next suburb on from us. And it was a little two-bed house and um, I remember it was on the market for 220000 And at the time, the median house price in that area was probably about two eighty. 
Um, although this was a two-bedroom, it was fair enough. It should be well under median house price because it was smaller. And um, it was renting for about $220 a week, which is pretty standard 5% returns in Adelaide. Then um, I remember working out if I added the the returns of 5% plus the fact it was would go up in capital growth about 7%, that 7% plus 5% equals 12% per year, that I was better off to own that than not. So um, that's kind of where life sort of did a bit of a turnaround um, at that point because I knew even though it was taking money out of my pocket to buy that investment property, it, in the long run, it was going to be a much better option. Coming to her worst investing moments, it is clear that adversity has aided Mirahead and helped her learn important lessons. I'm assuming you're talking about the moment in 2002 when Westpac said that we couldn't even afford our own home. That was pretty much the worst investment moment and that's our principal place of residence and we even spent our kids' piggy bank. I think they both had about $500. They were two and four by the way, so they were young and um, they had over their birthdays and Christmases, you know, parents, grandparents, sorry, grandparents who never give some cash every so often. So they didn't spend it at two and four. So we spent it and bought, you know, just food. It was just a horrible, horrible time. Um, and, you know, thankfully things did change when I heard that advertisement. But my second personal worst moment would be going back to work to my full-time DJ business the day I gave birth to my kids. I'll never forgive myself, hence why we travelled Australia when our finances had changed in 2010, 11 and 12. So it was pretty cool. I, but I think, sadly, those worst moments led us to where we are today. Um, so I don't know. Do things happen for a reason? Maybe they do. Everything clicked for her while lying awake in bed one night. So the DJ business, we um, purchased a, a bottom-end property, a commercial property in Adelaide to in the Adelaide CBD to run the business from. And... Um, it was an interesting time. I mean, I think outside the square, and I guess if you knew my portfolio, you probably worked out that nothing's the same in what we own. But this particular one was a commercial building, and the neighbouring company, it was Dave and Goliath, their property was about 45 times bigger than ours, to give you some sort of um, scope on this. And they wanted us to sign over a right of way that we didn't need. Um, so we could still access the back of our property through one half of the right-of-way. The second half of the right-of-way went through their property and they they were bullying us pretty much, wanting us to sign over this right-of-way. And thankfully, they came in one day when Andy was at, at, in, the, in the office in the um, commercial building and pretty much tried to get him to sign something and thankfully, he didn't, right? So what happened? So then we sort of went into negotiation and I, I said, well, give us money because we didn't have any, obviously. So I'm thinking, well, if you're going to do something, it's on our title, give us money. They wouldn't give us money. Um, and they were a car dealer, and so we said, well, give us a car, and they wouldn't. And then um, by this time, we'd already spent $3,500 on a um, solicitor, and it was just ridiculous. 3500 to us was a massive amount, because we just didn't have that sort of cash. Um, and we knew that they could keep talking to us and it would just be, we'd just fold. So we stopped talking to them and they came back about two years later and they said, oh, they're going to build a wall on it and then make us sue them and all this. It got really nasty. And um, I remember one night in bed, I went, oh my God, land. You know, they want us to sign over some land 
which is the right of way because they're going to build over it. They want us to sign over this land. Well, why don't they give us land? Because they're 47 times bigger than we are. They could give us land. They hadn't built the development, the four-story building yet. And um, and so we um, went to a solicitor and said, look, um, what do we do here? We don't want to pay your fee. And they said, oh, that's okay. What we'll do, we'll go to them and say, if you want to talk to the Muir Heads, which, of course, is my centre and in my centre, and uh, if you want to talk to the Muir Heads, you've got to pay my fee. So this big... Um, company said, okay, well, we'll pay your solicitor's fee. So the second time around, they were paying our solicitor's fee. So we had sort of had nothing to lose. And, and of course, the solicitor said, what do you want now? I said, well, ask them if they'll give us land. And they came back and said, yes. So we gained land on our title, um, another almost half, about 40% larger. Our land was 40% larger. And then two years later, sold as a development site in the city, Adelaide CBD. So it was a really, really bizarre. It was just like, oh, my God, they're not going to give us anything. And we were like a stalemate. Um, and it could have been really nasty. Um, but we ended up with, I don't know, they probably gave us about $150,000 to $150 to $200,000 worth of land. A mother first, a property investor and businesswoman second, Mary Head says that time is her most important asset. Oh, they're 18 and 16. Um, really good, I don't know. Well, some places, they're both volleyball players. So my daughter plays league and she's played for Australia six times and captain the country as a junior and she's really a bit of a gun. And my son plays volleyball for the state. And I don't know, it's just, I just love my kids. Yep, just love them. <laughs> but I think I'm no different to any other mum. I um, like I know some people, maybe one of your questions may have been, you know, what's the end goal? It kind of isn't one for me. Um, mine has always been to just have time, you know, just have time with the kids and, and property just happens to be there and happens to be my hobby. Um, but I do, in saying that, it is on my bucket list to do a development. It is very quite important to me as well as getting back in a caravan and travelling Australia with Andy. I won't be able to take the kids, they'll be too old. I, I would like to develop something because... Because everything we've done so far has been like buy, renovate and hold or buy, hold and put on separate titles, hold. You know, like it's been a lot of that, whereas I've, I've never done a development other than built our own home. So we're in a, in a on the same block that that same house we're going to rent out for 350 a week. We still live on that block in a new home, which we moved into 12 months ago. But um, So I've never done any developments, you know, where you knock a house down and build two or three. I don't believe there's money in going from one to two. I need to buy a block that a house where I go from one to three. So, inspired by this story and what Prue Mirrorhead is excited about today, we'll continue the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory, where we'll hear about how to apply Mirrorhead strategy. I've just used each property as a bank, so I just don't sell them to not pay capital gains tax. Um, I buy positive geared properties. So that obviously puts money into my pocket, not out of it. Her success habits for property investing? So I'm sort of already committing to the process. I just have to work out how to get to the end goal. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory.